0: we got a foot-long problem, and we're going to talk about it this week on The Indie Ball Report Podcast. Alright, we're back again. Episode number 125 of The Indie Ball Report Podcast. And I have a feeling it's going to be a good one, just because the number 125... Is very aesthetically pleasing when you look at it. Then also, all hell broke loose in the middle of the week too. That that also normally helps us and gives us a lot to talk about in a show where we already had a lot to talk about.
1: Yeah, it was it was an interesting week to say the least. And I guess not not for like great reasons, I, I guess you could say. But, but definitely a lot to talk about. Uh, but number number one twenty five. That is a you're right. That is a very, a very nice number. Like, you know, like you're a quarter of the way to 200,
0: though. Exactly. So. It, it just is a great number there. And so I, I guess we should probably uh just jump on the giant elephant in the room here. Because, I mean, like, before this kind of came out in the middle of the week, I was figuring oh, we'll, we'll still do the Atlantic League preview this week, and we'll do the Frontier League next week, and before we'll just touch on, you know, all the Canadian baseball that's going to be coming back and everything. But then, you know, I, I suppose I was the one who first really jumped on it and, and promoted yeah. it. Uh, it came out the the penalties for players that don't get on board with moving the mound back, and so... I think at this point it's no real secret that the Atlantic League was planning to play their second half with the mound moved back. Originally, I thought it was two feet, but then I saw it was only going to be the one foot that got moved back. So yeah, so it was
1: two feet, like back in uh, like back in 2019. Yeah, and then eventually, like going into this year, they announced it was going to be one one foot because I guess they realized how stupid two feet is. Not that one foot is. Might I be guess better. one foot is like as,
0: yeah, dead, I guess. It's like, it's a foot better than what it should be, or than what it could be, rather. So it's still a foot yeah. short of what it should be, I guess is the way of putting it. So in any case, I think it's also pretty safe to say that players pretty much universally do not like this decision one bit. And I don't think it's much of a secret that most of them had the plan of, I'll play the first half, And then I'll either just leave for the second half or I'll try to get traded somewhere else for the second half so that way I could play in a different league or somewhere else that doesn't have this mound for the second half. And so I think we all kind of expected some sort of major roster upheaval for this. Well, it's not going to be that simple because apparently there is a penalty for players that leave. And that penalty would be any player that leaves the Atlantic League After this, uh, I found out today that it's essentially a two-day grace period from today. So after August 1st, the grace period is over. So if you, starting August 2nd onwards, if you try to get out of the Atlantic League in an effort to avoid or circumvent playing with the mound as, you know, 61 and a half feet, you are essentially blackballed or rather barred, I suppose, is a better Uh, term from playing in any MLB organization or MLB partner league. Now, what makes this slightly more difficult because you'd figure, oh, well, you could probably get a lot of trades done. Most organizations and coaches are pretty accommodating for this kind of thing, and they definitely don't want to hurt their team's reputation and possibly hurt themselves in the future. Uh, The problem is it can't just be a straight up like player A for player to be named later that doesn't fly it needs to be what is deemed a fair trade which would be you trade someone that has like the the highest level of service time accumulated as say double a they have to be traded for someone that has the highest service time accumulated as double a you can't just trade like i don't know pick a former major leaguer in the atlantic league you can't just trade, and I'm just picking this name for the sake of an example, nothing more. You can't trade Matt Latos to the Frontier League for, I don't know, we'll go with, uh, let's say James Mullery from uh, from Rockland Slash New York. You can't trade Matt Latos for James Mullery. That deal's a no-go. You have to trade Matt Latos for another guy of major league experience. So that obviously makes... Uh, finding trades extremely difficult and that's going to make it not exactly feasible for most of these guys that want to get out to get out because when i was talking with some of the players it seems to be pretty set that most of the veteran players are trying to get out that there's a decent chunk of them that have essentially said i don't care what the penalty is i'm not pitching for the mound that far back there's a decent amount that said i'm trying everything i possibly can to get out it seems like more younger players, while they don't like it, they don't want to jeopardize, uh, I guess, their futures by leaving and they're just going to try and stick it out. It really is a whole major fiasco. And so I will say this much. Uh, I think Rick White's going to be a very, very busy man uh, this uh, this weekend as he gets traded proposal after trade proposal sent to his desk that he either have to approve or reject and this is a this is a whole fiasco here and i'm sure i've talked for long enough now so i'll let will kind of take this away and and give us his thoughts on this thing as he is the atlantic league expert around here
1: this is not good uh at all because at the end of the day like this was the decision and, and i don't put this all on not necessarily the Atlantic League because the MLB certainly has a role to play in this as well, but they're, they're acting like they're giving these players choices, but there really isn't a choice. Right? Because in any, and, and I know you mentioned this would be a long trade proposal sent to his desk. Yeah, but at the same time one, you have to get somebody, who is you have to get a team who is willing to take you in mid-season. So before anything else, then you have to find a player who is willing to come to the Atlantic League and pitch from uh, a man that is further back, which is hard enough, which is hard enough. Mm -hmm. And you have to find someone who has exactly the amount of service time as you do. And even if all of that happens, and let's say maybe the guy who has even, like let's say a AAA guy, AAA guy, you find all of that. And then the guy who I'll just use the American Association as an example. Yeah. The guy maybe has like an ERA of a six in the American Association, and the guy in the Atlantic League who's trying to get out has an ERA of like three and a half. And the Atlantic League team says, "No, that's not fair. I, I, I'm not. I'm not making that trade because they have the right to do that. They're a yeah. team. They don't have to just make some trade that like that just like checks all these boxes. They don't have to make any trade. So there really isn't a choice here." Yeah. Um, and, and I don't understand, I, I'd almost be, and I understand why players, they hear the word, like, which is what, what essentially is a black ball. And I'm not like, you're essentially not going to get, uh, another shot in the MLB or MLB partner, leagues, which is really, really scary. And I, I can get that. However, I think and I hate to say this, I don't think they would actually have the guts to do that because teams want to win games. And whatever this, like, quote-unquote unspoken agreement so they can get the lab rats, like, into the lab in order to give MLB, like, testing data, like, this is such a mess. This is not how players are supposed to be treated, not that Major League Baseball really cares how they're treated. I mean... For example, not to go on, not to go off on uh, on on off topic, and I promise I'm, I'll bring it back. But this this is the same organization and the same league that claimed that they were going to make minor league baseball and conditions a lot better when they cut all these affiliates and they needed money. Fine, you got the affiliates cut. You got everything you asked for. And guess what? There are still players sleeping on like mattresses, like seven in a room. There's still players who don't have housing paid for by the team. There's still players who have to pay to ship their own car on like terrible salaries. And th- there's still the same problems and nothing has changed because it is all a big lie. And that is, and that is my problem here because you can act like you're trying to, to do it on the best, interests of the player, but it's just not happening and it's not the reality. Because they're acting like they're giving these guys choices with this three day grace period. Not to mention three days is like nothing. That's nothing at all. Yeah. And I would almost like to see a player who who is dead set on leaving essentially call their bluff. Like really you're you're gonna like a, a league is going to uh, another league's not going to take me when it would help them win ball games. And it's, it's frustrating because that's not how other humans are supposed to be treated. And that is something that take baseball out of it, take everything else, uh, take everything else out of it with like whatever stupid data you need, uh, in order to, uh, in order to find out if it's good to move the mound back or not. Like, take all of that out. You treat, treating other humans like this. And not giving them choices and saves in their own life and career is not right. It's not right. And I don't care what, I don't care what instance and what, uh, and what situation this is. And that's what makes this really disappointing because I thought we were better than that. And, and that's the thing that's really, that's really tough to swallow is a guy who loves this league so much and it, that players are essentially being treated like this, and I know a lot right of that's also on Major League Baseball as much as it does on the Atlantic League as well. Uh, however, at the end of the day, these players are literally being forced to play um, to play under a rule that they don't want to that they don't want to play on. And listen, at the end of the day, if I mean all you hear is this: "All right, if someone else, if you don't want to play under these rules, someone else will." Fine, but if they don't want to play under, the, under under these rules. Find someone else. And we know that because even without the rules, pitching has been impossible to come by. And that's why I think they're implement, that's why they're using all this blackball stuff now because they're like, holy crap, how are we going to get pitchers who are on their couches or were just working out on their own right now? How are we going to get them to come pitch in this league or guys who are just released from minor league ball? And it's, and just not giving other humans, I'm not talking baseball players, whatever, other human choices and phase in their careers and threatening them with essentially, and, and whether they could follow through, whether they would follow through or not, threatening to end their baseball career in, in uh, the United States, is in Canada, is unbelievable. I, I don't, and I don't understand that to treat other humans like that and think of themselves as a a decent moral person
0: what gets me is that i could see on some level just telling players to deal with a rule you don't like if it was something like the shift rule if it's something more minor if it's the abs things like that that quite frankly have very little if no potential to cause real harm to them but and i know people are going to cite the survey that they did in the beginning part of the year that says look there's a low chance of additional injury by moving the mound back one foot and i say that's great but when it's the people implementing the change that are green lighting the survey or promoting the survey i don't expect them to promote a survey that's going to be counterintuitive to what they want to change and likewise how many pitchers are going to go, huh, the mound's move back now. Instead of throwing as hard as I possibly can, I should try to get more spin on each of my pitches, which is really the more effective way to keep yourself at the same competitive level. I don't think many guys are going to do that, even if the data backs it up, because it's something you have to get through your head. And when you're just going out there to pitch, you want as little bit to think about as possible. You want to be just kind of going there and just pitching. You don't want to have to think everything through. You just want to go out and go, okay, this is a, this is the situation I'm in right now. This is the pitch I need to throw. This is where I need to put it. If, it. if we get a ball on that pitch, I need to throw a strike here. If we get a strike, then I need to do this. That's all you want to think about. You don't go in thinking, okay, I need to make sure I put more spin on this. You go, I'm a foot further back. I need to throw the ball harder. So... I'm sorry, that's going to lead to injuries. There's just no way around that. And I think to believe something other than that is a bit sophomoric, to use a bigger word, but a bit foolish, to use a, a, a smaller word. Moreover than that, I, I definitely see what you mean. They are kind of treating their, the players like chattel here and far less like actual people just because if they want to get out, let them get out. It's quite clear that you're concerned about not being able to get the data in the purest sense you can, because they all know the Atlantic League is the highest level of player. You have the most former major leaguers, you have the most AAA talent, you have a lot of guys that rightfully should be playing in Mexico or or overseas. <clears throat> and so you can't use that kind of a rule in the Frontier League. You could probably use it in the American Association, but I have a very hard time believing they'd sign a rules agreement When they have not even put in the uh, runner on second or any sort of rule like that, their whole branding is centered around good old traditional baseball like you knew when you were a kid. So they're not going to go for any of these crazy rules one bit. I mean, it kind of goes directly against what they market themselves as. So it is a major major problem for Major League Baseball because they only have one of their league to try it in because... They're not going to do that in the affiliated admirers because they don't want to risk injuring team's prospects and then pissing off ownership like that. And that brings me to my larger point here, which is I wouldn't even mind testing it. I do have a major issue with the kind of draconian measures you're using to enforce it, but I don't mind testing it if it had a legitimate shot of making it into the major leagues. But I think you know, Will, I know, and I think everyone listening knows that if this ever became a legitimate proposal by the ownership in Major League Baseball, the MLB Players Union would die on that hill as much. That's kind of a pun there, I guess. But they would literally die on the hill. They would not give in on that unless there was some serious concessions made that ownership would never in a million years give in. And the one that immediately goes to mind that ownership would have to surrender if they legitimately wanted to move this mound back would probably be service time. Major changes to that that gets players to free agency in kind of unrestricted free agency much earlier and much sooner. And I don't think there's an owner in Major League Baseball that's willing to sacrifice control over a star player in exchange for moving the mound back a foot. And if there is, I would love to hear their reasoning behind it. And... In theory, this is the kind of thing where I don't have an issue with trying out. Because there is only one way to get the data, and that is to try it. And when you do run the numbers, and you look at surveys, and you look at things, it looks fairly harmless on the surface. But it's just such a major issue that this isn't just like a strictly by the numbers type decision. There's a lot of decisions that you can just make by the numbers. And more often than not, it's the right decision because you're taking emotion out of it. This is one of those times where you have to factor in the emotion of the people around you and the greater implications of that, and the, to be honest, the shit show that doing something like this is going to create. And honestly, if this could have been contained so much better. There is two ways to avoid this shit show entirely. Option A was say we're part of a partnership with Major League Baseball. How about they fork over the extra like two hundred thousand it would cost? to give each pitcher or or player in the league an extra 15 percent bonus per game check in the second half. I guarantee you if you would have paid these guys an extra 15 percent they would have said okay we're willing to try it we'll stick around because already the Atlantic League's getting more money than the other leagues you give them even more on top of that I think a lot more guys would be willing to stick this out or B which would have been even simpler being far more transparent about the whole thing. Because if there's one thing we've learned over the past year and a half, it's Major League Baseball may, us that God, have the worst PR of any major sports league. And when you look at some of the other major professional sports leagues in North America, that's really saying something, that they are the worst. But it's honestly a trickle-down effect. Because I don't want to entirely blame the Atlantic League for this because they signed an agreement. Contractually, I have a feeling they're fairly obligated to do this. They can fight it as much as they want, but at the end of the day, if it's in the contract, it's in the contract. And so I'd be very interested to see if we actually do get lawyers involved in this whole situation because I wouldn't be surprised if some players are giving this contract over to their agents or to lawyers to look at to go, do I actually have to play by this or could this contract be voided?
1: We, like if the mound's getting moved back again, what's in the contract, is in the contract? Unfortunately, that's just what's going to have to happen. But if a player says, I don't want to play into those rules, and then ask, ask, for their release. At the end of the day, that is something a team should have, should have to abide by. I'm not saying have separate contracts necessarily for the first and the second half, although I agree about the bonus, the bonus set. I think that would be a good idea um, to keep a lot of the players around. But I think that if, if you were to, if, to move the man back, I think you're just going to have, you're just going to have to let the players make their own decisions. On their own, listen. At the end of the day, it's not as easy as it seems to just switch leagues willy because it doesn't just it doesn't simply work like that. For so the best guys, yes, like they could they could get an American Association team. They could go to a Frontier League team that maybe could open up a, a veteran spot here and there uh, and see what they could do. But I mean, it's not that easy. So I don't personally. I didn't think a lot of players. We're going to just simply, we're, we're going to try to get out. Uh, just, be, it's a lot harder than it looks to just simply just pick up and go play for another league. However, if that's the decision that they make, at the end of the day, you, as the Atlantic League, you sign the contract, you make the partnership, and your decisions have consequences. You, your decisions don't have, all right, now we're going to put a gun to people's head and say, all hey, right, well, now you're going to play by these rules, or else your career is over. It's not how this works. That's not how this should work. It's really unfortunate that this is the threat that's being made, uh, because it could have been communicated so much better. Instead of just dropping a week before it starts and saying, "Oh, well, don't work. we'll give you three days to negotiate your own trade, and check all these boxes, and we have to approve it, and we have to improve it." have on. You're not at that point. You're just, you're not giving them any choices uh, whatsoever. And I don't know. If, I don't know what kind of effect moving the mound back is going to have. I don't think anyone knows. You would assume offense would go up. We'll see. But at the end of the day, is if, if, if someone doesn't want to play with the mound moved back and is willing to say, "All right, I'll put myself back into free agency and I'll go look elsewhere," without a guarantee that they'll get it another one. That's their choice and you can't just threaten with a black ball of essentially playing baseball in the United States for again, which I don't think they have any legal authority to to actually do anyway. I
0: think Uh, over the partner leagues, they may. It depends on what's in that agreement. And now it's a totally another thing if they'll actually follow through on that. And I don't think they legitimately can follow through with that. I mean, if they do there's a whole opportunity here to just start another league that's completely and utterly unaffiliated with with uh, any MLB partner league here. And that would be an interesting thing to see arise from this as well.
1: Yeah, I, I, as much as I wish that would happen. It's probably not. You would, um, have, you, you would have to get markets. You have to fund everything by yourself. And unfortunately, like, in, in this age...
0: I mean, if you give it, like... If you give it two or three years when the MLB Draft League falls flat on its face and fails, there's some, a lot of markets with stadiums already there.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, MLB Draft League has been has not been a rousing success in year one, let me tell you. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, it, it's just sad to see that this is how desperate they've become once they realize, oh, my goodness, we, were, we weren't even able to replace pitching in the first half. What are we going to do? Uh, in the second half, because apparently getting this data is, is so sacred. But, you know, it, the Atlantic, we signed the contract. They, I'm not saying that they have the right to, to not put, to not move the mound back, because I'm sure that's something they have to do. But, there's no consequence. Even if you're players, and if certain players don't want to play, that's their choice. That's their, and you shouldn't be able to just make threats to them and threatening to end their career.
0: Yeah, I I will say one thing on the devil advocate side of this. If there are players that entered into that agreement with the full knowledge that they were going to opt out in the second half, that isn't the best look on their behalf. And I'm sure any sort of attempt to void out that contract, if that becomes known that they were planning on opting out the second half of the year, that's going to very much hurt their case in voiding it because any sort of counter argument is going to go, well, they entered into it in bad faith. They were planning on leaving halfway through their contract like that. I'm sure that'll be an argument there. I mean, granted, even still, again, I'm still fully in favor of them being able to be let go. Or at the very least, if they're going to implement some sort of a penalty, why has it got to be this severe? Why can't it be something far more minor, you know? Why can't it be like not allowed in the Atlantic League for like 365 days from the date of the contract uh, termination. Why isn't that on the table? That'd be more than enough of a deterrent, I think, for most guys. Or even if you want to try with the partner league stuff. Say for a full calendar year, you're not allowed back into a partner league. I'm sure that'd be a strong enough deterrent for most of these guys. This is just a scare tactic that... Quite frankly, I don't know how legitimate it is. Like, I know that's the legitimate threat they're using. That much is a is a certified fact. I'm just not sure how much they're going to fall through with it.
1: Yeah, and that's what, and it's easy for me to say, considering I'm not an Atlantic player and my career is not at stake. Yeah. That I would I would almost like to see someone try it, mm. but again, my it, I'm not, my career is not the one that's at stake, yeah. and so. I, I can understand players being scared. We're trying to hang on and trying to hang on to a, a career in professional baseball. Um, I can see them not wanting to do this, but I, I just think there's there's just so much bad that can come from this. And we've seen some players voicing voicing this on social media once uh, once once this really surfaced. Of course, with Teasley. I uh, was specifically a long time Atlantic league pitcher, long time mm-hmm. fan favorite, uh, Atlantic league pitcher, of course, not, not just in the Atlantic league. He's been in indie ball for a while too. And, and he, and he voiced, uh, what he thought about, um, about this mandate or like threat or whatever. And it's, it's just really, it's just really disappointing that this is like the super, super, A big threat that they need to make in order to keep pitchers in the league. Like that should be enough to tell you like, Hey, maybe this isn't such a great idea. Not that they could do anything about it, but your decisions have consequences and, uh, and that's going to be one of the consequences that if you're testing all these crazy rules that you should have seen, Hey, maybe players don't want to play for. don't want to play on these rules. That's the risk you take. And those, are, and those are the consequences you suffer if indeed you were to put in some rules that players don't want to play by. Mm.
0: So on that note, I, I do want to keep things going because we do have a leak preview to still do, but I want to raise one question before we kind of continue on uh, from this topic, which is, is this the kind of writing on the wall moment For the American Association just to drop all the classification nonsense and say, we'll take whatever players we can get, because this seems like a giant moment for you to say, starting in 2022, if you want to come to the American Association of Professional Baseball, by all means, come on in. Like I understand the Frontier League it's unlikely to do that at most they'll add a veteran spot or some extra like experience level spots for them and cut down the rookie requirement. So I'm not holding my breath on the Frontier League doing anything like that. They're bread and butter is younger players. But the American Association has seemingly positioned themselves to want to be the equal to better than of the Atlantic League and if they can offer a traditional baseball that pretty much all these guys grew up playing, that pretty much all of these fans have grew up watching. It seems like a really appealing option, even with all the god-awful bus travel there. It seems like an appealing option for them to attract a lot of high-level talent that might have otherwise gone to the Atlantic League.
1: If, If The American Association were able to do that With still being able to stay in that MLB partner league realm, that's definitely something they should do. But of course, we don't know, you know, what's in the what's in the contract. We we still don't even really know what goes into being an MLB partner league. I mean, there's still so many unanswered questions uh, about that. But I think I agree with that. If they let's say it was this is 2019, and the Atlantic League is the only one with any sort of um, partnership with Major League Baseball, then that's something the American Association should absolutely do. And if, if they can do it within the, the contract of being a, uh, ML, uh, MLB partner league, that is definitely something they should do. That's something, like, I, I don't understand the need for rookies in that league at all,
0: really. Yeah, like, uh, can...
1: especially with the growth of the Frontier League and the Pioneer League as well.
0: Yeah, like, for me it never really made sense altogether like i understand if you want to say okay you got to have three or four on the roster because you do have like some very good rookies every year i mean peyton gray last year wyatt earl this past year like this current season both of them are very very good players and i don't think anyone's going to try and contest that that their rookie seasons were just off the charts amazing but I I definitely think they are more of that kind of professional players league. That's like, look, we've been around for a while. We have former major league talent. We have AAA talent. We can play ball. So I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to do that. I don't think their partnership is in the same realm as the Atlantic League. My understanding of how each of these work is that the Frontier League in the American associations partnerships more heavily rely on marketing and things like that. Although like you said, well, we really don't know the specifics. I mean, when we asked people affiliated with these teams and leagues, when we were interviewing them back earlier in the year, they even said, we really don't know what goes into this yet. We signed up with it without having a full concept but we have a rough idea and that, that rough idea we loved. So we went with it, but we don't know the exact specifics yet so maybe that includes the rosters and things like that but i do remember hearing that at least for the american association bit the rules are totally off the board the rules cannot be touched by major league baseball they're in full control of that and if their rules are still firmly in the hands of Josh Schaub and the rest of and the owners of the American Association, that would tell me the roster rules are also in their hands. And if that's the case, I mean, there seems to be very little reason to, at the bare minimum, allow for more, I guess, Atlantic League refugees to come over. Because, I mean, you've seen that the offense really isn't as off the charts in the American Association. So imagine if you get some of these top-of-the-line Atlantic League pitchers over there. There's a real potential there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There, there, there's real potential there. That's something, the very least raises the quality of play, which I think is something the American Association is always looking to do and would love to do. I mean, again, they're asking for some concessions salary-wise because the veteran players will be making more money. And I think that's, that's the one thing you also have to take into consideration. But from a competitive standpoint, there's no, there's no argument that that's something that, that they should pursue and that's something they should do in order. Uh, to get out of that talent to the American Association if they're bringing themselves with that old-fashioned baseball.
0: Exactly. So it's something to watch out for, and, and I guess something that they'll have to run the numbers on to see if it makes sense. But with that, I think we've kind of covered the the mound bit well enough, and I think we can kind of go into the actual Atlantic League preview as much as we, we still uh, have to talk about the league here, which I think it's also important to no. know. We don't like the decision from the league, but I still care for the league. I still want to see the league do well. I still want to support the players in the league and the teams in the league. It's just I really hate the decision they made here today.
1: Right. Yeah. Same there. Yep.
0: Yeah. So with that, uh let's just start breaking down teams. I guess we'll kind of start in one division, go through that, then go to the other division, go through that, and we'll start at the bottom and work our way up here. And I guess we'll start with the... uh I suppose the less intriguing of the divisions if you want to say that uh the North division which was one I don't think we had exactly high expectations for coming into the season and I want to say that they met those expectations because it did stay interesting for quite some time but in the end everything kind of leveled itself out we'll start with the york revolution 24 and 32 uh at this point of recording 10 and a half games out of first place although they're ineligible to win the first half division crown uh so i guess we'll start with the york revolution and uh well how they've been doing so far this year
1: they they have been okay well maybe okay a little bit a little bit uh, too strong. You know, but, I mean, to 25, 25 and thirty two uh, is definitely not where they, they want to. They wanted to be. Um, it's almost not as, cl- as classic of a York Revolution team. Uh, it's their pitching started really bad, has gotten a little bit better lately, uh, but the, their offense, kind of in the opposite sense, started really hot. They lost a, they lost a lot of guys. For example, Nelly Rodriguez, uh, who had an unbelievable start, uh, an unbelievable first 28 games there. He was, he was with the Reds for most of the first half. He ended up, uh, signing in Mexico. Uh, and, you know, that, that hurt a lot of their offense. And when you think of a, a York Revolution team, you think of power. You think of a lot of power. However, while this team, like OPS wise, they hit, they hit for a high average. They're second in the league in batting average and, uh, and fourth in the league in Team OPS. But for home runs, despite you know the ballpark they play in and what we've come to know from New York Revolution teams, they only had 50 home runs this season, which ranks seventh in the Atlantic League. Their offense has been solid uh, in that sense, just not as much power as you're used to. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, per se. But at least for pitching... They've struggled in some senses. Uh, of course, pitching has been pretty rough throughout the entire league, so it's, it's far from just them. But uh, like a guy like Jake Welsh is, a, uh, is someone who I thought very highly of coming into the year. He mm-hmm. struggled um, a ton, like a ton, at 9.88 ERA in 10 starts. I mean, in 37 innings, he's walked 38 guys and has only struck out 13, which is legitimately horrifying. Uh, but I mean, there's some good spots. Uh, some guys, Alex Sanabia had a great start to the season before he ended up getting picked up. Their bullpen, I, I actually kind of like their bullpen. Jim fuller has been good. Edward Paredes has been good. Rivera's been good. Uh, so they have some. They have some good pieces. Uh, the other, the one other thing I wanted to point out about, about the Reds, uh, they have the worst defense in the Atlantic League by a long shot. Mm-hmm. It is, it is not even close. So the Long Island Ducks as a team, uh, they have the best defense, fielding percentage wise, uh, error wise. 34 errors in 54 games. The York Revolution have 90 errors. In 56 games. 90. So nearly three times what the Long Island Ducks do. So that's not going to help. See, And talk about their pitching, uh, and, you know, their they're starting pitching struggling quite a bit. Not being helped out by this defense. Well, you could say that flex earned runs. That's true, but what about the balls that the defense doesn't get to and that end up being ruled as earned runs anyway? You know, that's the thing as far as the revolution. And they just walk way too many guys, as we've seen throughout this entire uh, Atlantic League season. Their K-to-walk ratio is horrific. 322 walks compared to 360 strikeouts. That's not going to win you many games. That's going to have to change for the second half. But the big thing that'll have to change, defense, defense, defense.
0: I mean, plus you forget one one other element of having a, a terrible defensive team behind you as a pitcher there's a mental element that goes into i can't afford to make a mistake because i know the team that's behind me does not have my back in the sense of they're not going to make terribly many plays if i mess up on a pitch and so then you're yeah. going to start pressing and then you're going to start making bad pitches and then you're going to start getting burned so i think that's also something to add in there and on that defensive oh. front i want to point out they're starting short in Sanchez, or at least played 32 games of, like, what, about 50 or so they've played so far. So, yeah. he is their starting shortstop. He has 20 errors. He almost has as many as the Ducks' entire team has. And it's not yeah, like, like it's, it's like, an insignificant position. It's it's shortstop. That's important. He's like, he out
1: the defense. I mean, he averaged, like, he yeah. There's like a better than there's a better than fifty percent chance he makes an error in any given
0: game, which is not good at all. Yeah, and then you you look at some of the guys that have played forty or more games. That's only about five players. Only like there's there's one guy who's batting under two hundred, which is kind of surprising to me. I'm not gonna lie, I, I'm kind of surprised that like Sanford Stone, the lineup when he's batting like one eighty six. Now Grandy's probably one of the better fielders on this team. But, still, it's... Uh, they're an interesting team in that regard. They're probably the one team where it's like, yeah, they never really were, were in the, in the North. But uh, the next team that's up is always a fan favorite on the show, and that's the Lancaster, uh, the Lancaster... Almost made a mistake. The Lancaster Barnstormers. Wouldn't want to offend anybody now. God knows we wouldn't want to do that. And they... I guess it's time for the Lancaster ERA check. And... The Lancaster is,
1: ERA
0: check. I, we need to get a jingle for that, I think. I think that's worthy of its own jingle. If someone anyone out there just. Yeah. If someone wants to make that, we'll gladly promote and give credit for whoever makes that. And we will use it every single episode when we get to the Lancaster ERA check, which the 28 and 29 Ball Club is, uh well, they got an area of 7.59. Uh, so not good still. Very not good, some would say. Um, Not,
1: uh, not ideal.
0: Yeah, so they're not doing great. Uh, batting-wise, they're, uh, you know, they hit for average, I guess you could give them that. Uh, power-wise, they hit from power. You know, they're not a bad batting team, it looks like, just looking at the numbers at a quick glance. So, I mean, like, you give them that. But they're just... I'm not sure about you, Will, but for me, I never really considered the Barnstormers, like, a legitimate threat in the North Division at any point in the year.
1: Yeah, I, I even when they were in first place for that little little stretch of time in the beginning of the year, it wasn't really a team that I thought was going to hold up, and indeed it didn't. But the lineup breaks. Caleb Gindle, I mean, guys guys are moving in and out all the time, and uh, in the Atlantic League, Caleb Gundl's been here for a Caleb Gindle consistently rakes every single season. Hmm. And he's, he's doing it again this year. Uh, with nearly hitting 300, OPS over 1,000. Uh, Blake Alamond is having a great season. Alejandro Eaza is having a great year. Trayvon Robinson is doing great. Kelly Dugan do, is doing great as well. I mean, this team offensively has been quite good. Like, very, very good. Uh, and they just, they just don't have I any, mean, Pitching. Yeah. At all. There's I mean, no. There's like, just no pitching.
0: Yeah. Like, at all. I think I'm looking at their the guys i have started the five most, or the who would be their number one, two, three, four, and five stars just off a of game started. And I mean, the ERAs are 7.91, 9.80, 10.64. Then you have your ace of the staff, I guess, with a 5.19. And then rounding out the bottom, uh, you'd have a ten ninety five batting at, or ERA. So that's. I uh, mean, you,
1: you could sum that up. You could sum it up in uh, the game that uh, Lancaster played tonight against the Blue Clouds. or well, last yeah. night. Once you, once you, when you're listening to this, hmm. Blue Crabs won eighteen to seven. The score after three innings of gameplay was Southern Maryland sixteen, Lancaster one. 16-1 to 1 after three innings. And that is just not good at all. And there were seven walks in those three innings because they love the walks.
0: You know, I almost wonder if they'd be better off just using a different pitcher every single inning. Like, every pitcher throws one inning of work. Would that be better?
1: I mean, that's kind of what they do on
0: accident. I I mean, yeah, but if you start with your best guy, maybe it won't get out of hand. Because I mean, if you take away the first two innings, it was a competitive game. You, you
1: sound like the uh, like the the travel ball coach who like loses by like thirty points and says, "Well, we played him even in the second half."
0: <laughs> no, I just sound like the I Jets head coach. I
1: the twelve-year-old kids.
0: <laughs> look, look, see. If you just if we just ignore the bad parts, it was a good game. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But yeah, so I think uh well if we could take positives away from it, uh from the the, the Barnstormers, like you said, the offense was very good. Their fielding isn't as bad as their in state rival.
1: They twenty eight and twenty nine. Like yeah, they're like not that bad, with loss
0: wise. Yeah. I feel like that's just the offense bailing them out enough. Like, if your offense is good enough, you'll win slugfests. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the entire
1: Atlanta do slugfests this
0: year, so. Well, let's keep everything moving here uh, before length gets out of hand. We'll go now to the second-place team in the Atlantic League North, the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, 28-27. and 27. They're going to finish a decent little ways back of the Ducks for first place. Um, they they were a team you were high on coming into the year. They were a team that I said, I will not believe in them because they burned me too many times. And they were not bad for a while until they started losing players via contract purchases. And I guess we'll just uh, get your overall uh, thoughts on these uh, crustaceans. Yeah, so to be honest with you, they
1: were about what I thought they were going to be. And, you know, they're a team that's slightly over 500, which is about where I have them playing. Um, statistically, they have the worst offense in the Atlantic League. Uh, so they're just pitching staff in the Atlantic League. So their pitching staff is strong. Um, offensively, they've kind of struggled, uh, I guess. Well, either if you compare it to just like baseball in general, uh, I guess it's not that bad. I guess, like, they're hitting above average, like, OPS-wise, like, as a team, with 756 OPS. But, compared to the rest of the league, that's not yeah. much. Uh, so, but, what I will say about the Blue Claws is, they continue to make moves to try and bolster this lineup. Because they see, like, hey, our pitching's not bad. Everyone else is struggling for pitching, and we're not. And, they're they bringing in guys like Cesar, uh, Cesar Trejo, from, uh, from the high point rockers, they brought in Ruby Silva, uh, who started the year out in West Virginia. Started insanely hot, then went back, uh, ended up going back to the Blue Crab. So they're trying to make changes to this lineup, make them good. But the, the pitching's been the pitching has been really solid for them. Daryl Thompson doesn't give a damn about the mound. He doesn't give a damn about the rules. He's going to just straight up shove. Uh It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the rules are, because. Daryl Thompson is just going to do, you know, Daryl Thompson things. Matt Latos is Matt Latos has been great uh, as we as we expected him to. Uh, I mean, yeah, just to go back to Thompson. Yeah, the, dude, the dude's walked nine guys in seventy-two innings, uh, so he doesn't care about the strike zone. Three eighty-four ERA and eleven starts, which is awesome for uh, this. Uh, I think that leads the, the league
0: in ERA too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's been great. Mike, uh, Mike Devine has had his moments as well, uh, starting. Um, and, but the back end of the bullpen has is, is been really solid as well. And Matt Latos, I mentioned as their closer, has been very, very good. Dalton Deakey coming over from the Frontier League, one of my favorite signings of the offseason. Uh, he has had a great season. And guy Andrew Spicino, has been outstanding. He is a, uh, he's a guy that, uh, I guess I didn't really see that coming from him, but, Another one, other guy I wanted to mention under this pitching staff, an um, mm-hmm. old old Ken league on Brandon Barker. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. he was also a great start this season, so he uh, really helped them get to where they are. So, um, you know, the Blue Crabs offense has been a struggle, but they're make, They're one of my intriguing teams for in the second half. I think yeah. just because the the lineup's still relatively new, the current lineup is still relatively new. Because they lost, they lost some guys. They're bringing in new guys, uh, so I think that they, with the pitching being as, as good as it is for this team, again, I, it's hard to see them topping the Ducks. Could they be in it for a wild card spot? I think they certainly could.
0: be. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I th- at this point, whatever Long Island does is pretty irrelevant. Either they win the division and open up a wild card spot for them, or they lose the division, in which case, then it doesn't matter anyway. It really comes down to if there's another team in the South Division that kind of jumps up and is able to do better than they are or do better than they do. I will say one thing, though, which came to my mind. I think we have the perfect solution here. We combine Lancaster with Southern Maryland and form one team, and then we'll have a really good team. We'll have a dynamite offense with a dynamite pitching staff. That'd be a weak team. I think that's what we need to do. I think that's the solution to everyone's problems.
1: Sounds like a good idea to me.
0: Let me take the to White's desk. I know he's not going to be too busy this weekend, so he could definitely get right on it.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: So with that, I guess we'll go to the Ducks here, who I think uh, the currently sitting at 34 and 21 Long Island Ducks were always going to win this division. And they've also now reasserted themselves as the best team in the Atlantic League because we all were fawning over the legends for a little bit too long for, I guess, uh, Bolton and Faf's liking. And they had to remind us that, no, our team is still the best team in this, uh, in this league. And don't you think otherwise for one second.
1: Pretty much. I mean... White Island, they they got off to kind of a pedestrian start uh, for for a variety of reasons. I mean, uh, their pitching was okay. Their offense was really struggling early on. Uh, But, I mean, now, I mean, they're absolutely red hot. uh, And that's why what was a pretty close competition for this North Division crowd early on turned out to be a runaway train. Uh, for the Long Island Ducks at the end, of course, them clinching yet another first half championship. Uh, so, of course, congrats to them. I mean, you look at this lineup and you look at where because the, their pitching staff is the best in the league, and I'll get to them. Uh, but the offense has been solid, uh, and you look at—they just added David, uh, Davidson Romero, uh, a guy who's a, the 2019 Atlantic League uh, Championship Series MVP. Uh he's been off to a great start. Steve the resurgence of Steve Lombardozzi offensively has been has been a revelation. I mean he's hitting three twenty five with an OPS of nine eighty one. I mean he is he has been outstanding. Ryan Jackson has had a big bounce back season uh at the shortstop position. I uh, like a little more from a guy like Ray Fuentes. Um but even like Clint Freeman, for example. Has has been uh, he's he was their two way guy from throws from the left side comes out of the bullpen sometimes but also plays first base. He's got a really good year at the plate. So uh, and of course can't forget L J Mazzilli. He'll hit for average, not a ton of power, but uh, he'll be good as well. So their offense is starting to catch fire. Their pitching is still really really good. Um, just to bring up to bring up some of those guys. Of course you have. Uh, Joe Iolia, who's, who's, a rock at the top of that rotation. Um, you have a guy, Scott Harkin, he's not there anymore, but in his three starts there was, uh, was excellent, really gave that, uh, that starting rotation. A boost, of course, they the Long Island Ducks. they have guys moving in and out, uh, in and out all the time. Mike Bolsinger's been significantly better, uh, of late. Uh, and, and Darren Downs is now back to starting games because they needed pitching and he yeah. was the pitching coach. And he said, all right, I'm going to start games now. And it's been surprisingly effective. Yeah. So, um, and so I, again, this is like a typical Bucs team. They're going to be outstanding pitching wise. They lose pitching. They're able to bring in pitching and, and offensively they're improving. They're getting a lot better. They're undoubtedly one of the top two teams in the Atlantic. They did the best record in the Atlantic league at the moment, but, um, and I would expect it to stay that way. They're definitely championship contenders.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, pretty evident. Plus, Dragmire's also been pretty good as well. I mean, he's stoned right. 25 games and he's has an ERA under three. So that's pretty good uh, as well. There's a lot of guys that are just really good. I'm not going to, you know, rattle off all the same names. But I do want to just point out that Johnny Turbo is still great. Just name alone is worthy of being that great. And uh, he's also batting two seventy, which isn't bad.
1: Not, not at all. I mean, he certainly bounced back from a, from a what I guess was, I guess probably by his standards, not a great 2019 season, but he's been a lot better now.
0: I mean, to be fair, that wasn't Johnny Turbo. That was Darby Myers that didn't have a good season. Johnny That's Turbo's always point. had a good season. So I mean, right. What does Darby Myers have to do with jo- Johnny Turbo anyway? I don't know. I, it's kind of like, I think, a Batman and Bruce Wayne thing where they look really similar and you never see them in the same spot, but they're just two totally unrelated entities. Yeah. yeah. I
1: think so. So, so uh, what, what are we saying? Yeah, it, it, it doesn't mean
0: that. Yeah. Also, uh, Ramon Flores is on this team, too, and he has yet to really uh, get going, that. Yeah. but it's a matter of time he before he gets going.
1: Yeah, he, he actually hit his first one as we're well on the bus tonight. Oh, so yeah? He's already such a good start.
0: Well, so he's, he's getting back uh, to expectations there. So on that note, we'll go now to the uh, the last four teams to talk about. The South Division, we'll go with one of the new teams in the league this year, the West Virginia Power, which we both were fairly high on coming into the season. I think we both had them pegged to be a wild card team, probably make the postseason. They're they, they probably the weakest of the postseason teams, but they were probably going to get there, and they have wound up being the worst team in the league uh, so not exactly great uh, on our parts, or certainly my part. Uh, 21 wins, 34 losses, uh, sub 4 winning percentage, or sub point four winning percentage. Uh, they are going to finish a long ways out of first place in the South Division. Team-wise, uh, batting-wise, they, uh, they're they a pretty middle-of-the-road team. I think it's fairly safe to say. Uh, they, they don't really hit for power, but they also don't really do anything that great on offense 280 as a team uh batting average wise which is again with how high all the ERAs are and how high all the batting numbers are it's really hard for me to tell what's good and bad in this league it really makes it it's like I can do it but it's just kind of hard to immediately go to as a team pitching wise they have an ERA just a hair over 6 a third from the bottom so not the best but also not the worst either I guess uh, but yeah, I, a lot of it hasn't gone right here.
1: There, there's been some bright spots, but the pitching has been pitching has kind of been a revolving door in West Virginia, um, and they've really struggled uh, because of it. And they really haven't had many guys that have been there uh, starting for for the entire year. Uh, they they brought in Congolario from from Gastonia, who his, his first his, uh, his start at least. With West Virginia has been good after struggling over in uh, over in Gastonia, but I mean, yeah, the 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 starting pitching hasn't been great. I mean, uh, Eric Sakula has been uh, been pretty good uh, in, in this rotation, but you know, they they haven't got a whole lot of consistency. Just it literally has been a, a revolving door. Um, they've had a good amount of guys picked up, and it was early on. I know they had visa issues early on. Like, um, so I don't want to completely throw it on them, uh, throw it all on them. Cause there has been, there, there's been a lot more factors, but you know, there's some good spots. Uh, Teodoro Martinez, uh, yeah. has been awesome, literally awesome. Uh, he's hitting 382 this year, not yeah. a ton of power, but he's hitting 382 in this. 50 games. Um, Remember <clears throat> Luriano as well, and uh, Nick. Yeah, Scott Kelly.
0: Yeah, a guy that Is, I think we both kind of wrote off.
1: Right, what, am I reading that? Uh, am I reading it? Yeah, he's uh point three one zero. Does that mean he's uh that, Does that mean he's hitting three three ten? I,
0: I think he would be, and if I'm right, it's in 43 games. So it's not exactly a small sample size either. Yeah, I can't be right. This is not the Scott Kelly we knew in Somerset. This is not the same guy. I refuse to believe it's the same guy. Because the Scott Kelly I know and saw in Somerset was batting about 200 in any given year. And looked to be like, at least, should be at least, transitioning into a I'm working for the team and not playing for the team role but it looks like change of scenery has gotten him to an OPS of over 800. What? Yeah. And in fact, if you want to serve by like leaders on the team, if you go to that, he's third on the team in batting average behind Martinez and if I'm not mistaken, former major leaguer Alberto Callaspo. Oh, he is definitely
1: a former major
0: leaguer. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, he was pretty good with the Angels for quite some time. He was. Yeah. yeah. No, so, he was good. So there's no shame at being behind him at all. And I, you know, I'm looking at this team and I'm just kind of wondering, how do they only win like 21 games? Like, I understand the pitching's been a revolving door and they had the v issues, and I get all that but they should be better than this. Like you look at like Lancaster or Lancaster. I'm going to mess it up and I'm going to continue to do it. You look at them and they were able to just slug their way to about 500. And I understand West Virginia doesn't have as easy of a schedule. You don't have York and you don't have the coin flip that is Southern Maryland on any given day. But you do have Gastoni that's about even with you, like we'll say in a minute. And you do have a high point team that was struggling for a large part of the season so far, and then you have the Legends, which, I mean, they're that's a whole other animal. So there are winnable games on their schedule that you can rightfully outslug your opponent, and they were not able to do it. And I'm just kind of surprised that they were not able to do it.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely surprised, too. I mean, I mean they're, they're offensively, there's They've definitely disappointed offensively. They scored the fewest runs uh, in the Atlantic League this season, and you know their pitching isn't very good. And there's there's winnable games for them, so I, mean, I wouldn't completely write them off in the second half. I guess well, I guess about this again, their roster is, is pretty new still. Uh, they're still, like I mentioned, kind of been a revolving door, uh, so I wouldn't completely write them off in the second half because the slate is white clean. Uh, so. Um, I wonder if you see them make a run. I mean, they, they don't hit for a lot of power, and I think that hurts them uh, in a league that's as offensive heavy as the Atlanta League is this year. Mm-hmm. So I think part of that hurts hurts them a little bit. But certainly been a disappointing first year over in Charleston.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's pretty fair to say. And on that note, we'll continue the trend of new teams that play in the South Division with the latest expansion team in the South Division and the Atlantic League in the Gastonia Honey Hunters. You know, we're pretty good friends with uh, the folk over there. And I think we can all safely say that no one really thought they'd be doing as well as they did. I think I was the most optimistic of predictors when it came to this team. And I was like, oh, they're good for 40, maybe 50 wins. I think I was saying about 40, 45 wins, if I remember right. And they're kind of on pace to get to 50. Which I think is pretty good for them, especially from the roster that we saw when we did the preview way back in, I guess that'd be May now. And so they're, yeah. tw- they're 26 and 30. You know, they're, they're on a little bit of a winning streak right now and they haven't been that bad. You know, I got, I know that sounds, doesn't sound like the most ringing of endorsements, but they're second in the league in home runs, only behind Lexington, which again, no shame there. On um, base percentage, they're fourth in the league. Again, not terrible. Slugging-wise, as you could guess, they're third. Average-wise, granted, that is a problem. They do not hit for average. They're third from the bottom there. Uh, still 272, so not, it's not like it's god-awful. But again, everything's relative when it comes to this league. And, you know, OPS, they're third. So it's not like they're a bad batting team. Pitching, you know, it's not good. It's not good. It's a six-and-a-half ERA, and that's a problem. But I got to say, I, they are a better team than I think we all thought they were going to be coming into the year.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like when we, before they just like released all their signings at once, yeah. and nobody knew who was on their team. I mean, but, um, yeah, I mean, their offense has been really good. I mean, the offense has been really, really good this year. They're hitting for a lot of power. They're second in the league in home runs, third in the league in team OPS. Um certainly certainly they've had a lot of really surprising and, and great performances uh on offense. Of course Toppy has been great. Um Jesus Sucre behind the plate, a major four major league veteran. Yeah. He's almost certain for three hundred. Oh yeah. And um Josh, and again, I think it's pronounced Salah.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: Sala, Salah. Sala, yeah, Salah. Yeah. Hitting for a ton of power. I mean, yeah. he's got like uh, eighteen, eighteen bombs. Like that'll play. Yeah, uh, that'll play. He's second in the league in home runs behind Caleb Bindle. So, I mean, this offense—they they hit for a lot of power. They score a lot of runs, uh, and they like just up and down this line, There's not an easy out, uh, and that's really helped them. Pitching wise has been a bit of a struggle, and that's why they're not. Higher up in the standings, I guess we could have kind of, um, we could have seen that coming. They struggled, yeah. uh, to get, to get good starting pitching. You know, they've had some decent arms out of the bullpen. Robbie Scott, Donnie Hart have been good, uh, out of the bullpen, but they just really haven't been able to get, uh, consistent starting pitching. And that's definitely hurt them. Probably is going to keep them from being any sort of, uh, legit contender this year, but, I think that they can really hit, and they're an exciting team to watch. They're a very fun team to watch, and uh, and they play a lot of flair. They play a lot of excitement, Uh, and so very, very entertaining team, for sure, just
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's all you can really ask for in a team that's coming into year one. You put an exciting product on the field that's going to keep attracting fans here, and I think you know, if they wind up with 50 wins in what a 126 game season, that's pretty good. Yeah. I think you call that a success.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I mean, of course, this isn't, doesn't necessarily have to do baseball. Yeah, but uh, but they've done solid in, in the box office, given like yeah. the pandemic and everything. They've done pretty good at wise So, yeah. I definitely definitely lot to go on to them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to point out that Josh Sala is essentially the Atlantic League version of Adam Dunn. Because he hits like 237, but he has 18 bombs. So it's kind of like, yeah, he's not going to hit for average. But if he gets a hold of a ball, it's leaving the yard. And, you know, he's still good for like a hit a game, roughly, if he gets four at-bats. A hit every four at-bats is, you know, pretty solid. You can live with that.
1: Yeah, you certainly can with the power he has.
0: Yeah, And uh, just further to your the point you were making on attendance, it's, it's actually, yeah, it's pretty good. It's middle of the league, which, you know, is pretty good. And oh, holy shit, I didn't realize how bad West Virginia was doing in that regard.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, uh, great. yeah, 1,500 a game is not good at all. Oh, gosh, that's that's, that's really not good. They need to get that up. They need to do that. But York also, another team that should be getting theirs up.
1: Yeah, York should, York should definitely be better. Yeah. Uh, than, but, you know, like, I mean, attendance is down across the league. I think part of it has to do is maybe this year not the best year to draw conclusions yeah. from, but, uh, but, you know, Best on it. It's for, for year one establishing themselves in that community are doing a very good job.
0: Yeah, very fair point. Yeah, 21 attendance is going to be all over the place, so, yeah. Uh, On that note, we'll go to the second last team we got in this in this recap, I guess. The High Point Rockers, uh, 29 and 28, a team I think we all had pretty high expectations for. Pretty slow start from them. I don't think anyone's going to try and argue otherwise. And uh, they've really come on kind of as this late surge, held off the celebrations in Lexington for a little while. But ultimately, in the end, they just they had too much ground to make up with uh, not enough time to do it. Uh, hitting-wise, you know, they're not really the best team, I want to say, hitting-wise. Like, they have some power, a little bit of it. But all in all, I they're, they're just not that good of a hitting team. Uh, second to last uh, for average, and really kind of third from last when you look at slugging percentage. Pitching-wise, though, uh, they're, they're pretty good. They're second in the league. And just for the sake of making this point, They're the second-best team via ERA in the Atlantic League this year. Their team ERA is a 518, which in any other year, I think we'd all say that's a little high. But this is great this year. So that just shows how all over the place, and I know I keep reiterating this point, but it really is something I think that needs reiterating, is that there's a lot of offense in this league this year, and it's not going to stop anytime soon. But, uh, Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I, I think your assessment of High Point was, was pretty accurate. I mean, offensively, at least coming into the year, they, I really like the roster they had on paper. Some guys haven't really performed. They've lost, um, they've had some contracts purchased, uh, which certainly has not, uh, has certainly has not helped them. But pitching wise, I mean, they, uh, the Rockers are playing much better of late. A lot of that has to do with pitching. Uh, I mean, Craig Stem has pitched a lot better lately. He was very good tonight uh, against West Virginia, eight or seven strong inning, uh, down in high point. And, you know, there are certain guys that you would expect a little bit more from. I mean, Jared Mitchell is hitting for a lot of power, but I'm sure they like him to get on base for, uh, a little bit more. I-, I just think there's not a ton in this lineup. I think Cardulo has been very good. Uh, Stuart, Stuart Levy's had a good year, although he was mostly a catcher, and I guess he's playing from third base now as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you're just looking, the offenses, they've kind of, uh, they've had to, rep, they've kind of had to rebuild a lot of that lineup on the fly, uh, and they've had some growing pains while doing so. Uh, so I think that's part of the reason. I think pitching wise, they've been Started out pretty rough, but they've been very, their starting rotation has been very, very good lately. So I think that's something definitely that to, to watch for in the second half. I think High Point, I would expect High Point to be a much better team in the second half. But, so that'll, that'll be something to watch. I'm not, I'm not sure if they'll end up winning the South Division. But I think they'll certainly, admit, I expect them to get a wild card spot, I expect to see them
0: in the postseason. Yeah, I think they're a fairly safe postseason bet. I mean, guys like Russell, uh, Alfonso, Cardulo, Downs, they've all done pretty well at bat. So I, they do have some guys, like you said, but uh, it's still a lot left to be seen here. Plus, I thought I saw that uh, Edwin Arroyo would at least potentially, be able to rejoin the team uh, towards the end of the year. And if they could get his bat back into the lineup, that would be a very, very yeah. big add uh, for and them.
1: And Quincy, Radim- Quincy too. He'll oh, yeah, him, too. At some point. Yeah, yeah. That's don't true. know when, but at some
0: point. Yeah, so uh, when they get all these guys back in there, you know, it's going to... You know, it really gives them a push, especially at the right time of year. So who knows? Maybe they could finally get over the hump and at least make a championship game this uh, this year instead of falling short in the semis. But uh, anywho, we go to the last team we have now. The team I think we all thought would be the best team in the league, but they got a little, well, I don't want to say they got cold. They came back down to earth. Uh, towards the latter half of the first half, that would be the Lexington Legends, 32-22. and 22. Uh, They won their division. They clinched it. Uh, I believe it was either last night or the night before that they did so. And it was pretty, pretty impressive uh, performance by them in this first half. Uh, when you think of an offensive powerhouse team, I think you can safely say, yeah, Lexington's pretty good at that when they're hitting just under three hundred as a team. When their OPS is over 900 as a team, when they're slugging over 500 as a team, when they're leading the league in home runs, they're an offensive factory. And uh, pitching-wise, they're not really a bad pitching team. Like, yeah, a 560 team ERA isn't great, but it is fourth best in the league, and it is an offensive power year. So as long as you get league average pitching, which is clearly what they're getting here, with the kind of offense they have... Not a problem. It really isn't an issue for them.
1: Yeah, I, I think Lexington. I mean, Lexington's offense has been unbelievable this year, and that's what's really carried them. They, they did come back down to earth a little bit. Their offense is still. Uh, it was more because of the, their pitching. Their pitching struggled a little bit down the stretch of the first half, uh, but I mean, overall, Lexington won this division easily. You know, it's hard to blame them when they have the division wrapped up for so long. They may be getting a little complacent down the stretch. Uh, but, but I mean, offensively, they've been a nine twelve OPS as a team. They're hitting 293 as a team, uh, 84 home runs, leads the league uh, by quite a wide margin. Uh, they're just offensively, they're, they've they just been insane. I, I mean, you look at some of these guys like DJ Peterson has been uh, unbelievable. Uh, at the play in OPS over, like, right at 1100, uh, 15 home runs hitting 311 on base of 418. Uh, Jordan Pacheco behind the plate has been, uh, has been a great addition. Courtney Hawkins has really, really caught fire. and Keon Barnum is, has, hit much, much better lately. And Roberto Baldequin at short has got a guy we really didn't see coming. Him and Ben Oklinski, guys that at least with a minor league track record offensively didn't see a whole lot as far as power. And boy, have they burst onto the scene and really made this offense kind of unstoppable. There's not a, there's not an easy out in that lineup. Pitching wise, they've had, they had to the rebuild. They've had a lot of their guys picked up, but they've done a very good job replacing some of those guys. I think some of the names, the names they've brought in that we necessarily haven't seen results from yet, I think that'll start to turn. For example, uh, Christian Friedrich, they just added, uh, he hasn't been very good in his first, uh, his first couple outings. However, I'd expect that to change. He has a, a great track record. He's been, uh, he was very good in Indie Ball. He was very good with the Bees back in 2019 before getting picked up, uh, by the NC Dinos of the KBO before heading there. He's not, he's not walking very many guys. Uh, so he's only walked one guy in his first 11 innings. That to me is an encouraging sign. Uh, I, I think so. I, I really do think that Lexington will start to pick it up. Uh, the, even though they, they've had to rebuild a lot of this, um, a lot of his pitching staff. I still think they're, they're, a really, really good team and the offense, they're always going to hit. And, and I think their pitching, I think their pitching is going to be better in the second half than it was in the first.
0: Oh, yeah, they'll they'll be performing very well, pitching-wise as well. But I want to go back to just batting real quick. Pew and Sturgeon also have been off the charts here, and they've been doing a a fantastic job there. In the case of Cole Sturgeon, he's only struck out 17 times and uh, 209 at-bats, which is just crazy to me to see a guy bat that often and strike out that little. It's pretty damn impressive. And, And like you said, the pitching kind of lagged off towards the end of the uh, first half there, but they're, they'll turn it around. That's a matter of time, and that's part of what I really want to commend this team on, is they lost a fair amount of guys towards that middle part of this first half, and they were able to just replace them and plug guys in like it was nothing. Normally, in indie ball, you lose a player. It's going to be hard to get production out of them. You almost have to make it up in the aggregate, but They were just able to go, oh, we lost a star, like, starting pitcher or a key bullpen arm. Oh, here's a former major leaker we got. We'll just slap them in like it's nothing. And that's just really amazing.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think that's the most of a good indie ball team. And that's that's what this team is.
0: Absolutely. So with that, we've kind of reached the end of this uh, recap period. I guess we'll do the same thing we did uh, with the American Association and go... We'll start with the players. Who do you think is kind of that front-runner for league MVP and league pitcher of the year? And then who do you expect to see in the final and what result from the final?
1: I think for league MVP, uh, a guy that uh, that we're really looking at, I think D.J. Peterson really believes uh, that would be my pick uh, for league MVP right now from the Lexington Legends. He kind of just does it all uh, at the plate. I mean, he's third in the league. And home runs, uh, he'll hit around 300 or drive in a ton of runs. I, I think he's a guy. I, I think going into the second half, he'll, he'll hit for a higher average. Maybe catapult himself up those, up those leaderboards. Uh, I really, I really could see him winning player of the year, pitcher of the year. Daryl Thompson won it in 2019, doing a lot of the same in 2021. I'm going to stick with him. He's really been, uh, impressive for Southern Maryland. I, I, I'll go with him as my likely pitcher, uh, of the year. And, um, at least for, at least for going into the finals, I don't think it's really much of a surprise. There's been two teams and, a, and just the rest. I mean, you look at, of course, I think you're going to have Long Island out of the north. I think you're going to have Lexington out of the south. Uh, and given the teams, it's going to be really close. I could definitely go either way. I, I would probably leave Long Island as of right now because of their pitching, but, Again, this could certainly change. I think it'll be an exciting. It'll be a really close series, uh, and and, and it would be a lot of fun if that's the matchup we get.
0: I'm going to agree with the with the final prediction. I think is Lexington and Long Island. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. I'm agreeing with pitcher of the year. I think Daryl Thompson has it wrapped up. He's going to go back to back. The dude's a machine. He just there's no stopping him when he's on, and he's been on practically the whole year. But I will say, I think, and I'm going to just say this just because I want to see. A little bit of change in the variety of league champion. I'm going to pick Lexington because I like that pitching staff a lot. I understand Long Island has been the best in the league to this point. But I think the offensive firepower from uh, the legends so far has shown me enough where I feel comfortable taking them. I think it will be a fun series that goes the distance though. And like you said, it could really go either way at the end of the day. As far as my player of the year, I'm going to go a little bit different. I'm going to go a little bit outside the box, and I'm going to take Carlos Castro from the uh, York Revolution. Currently, he's leading the league in um, batting average at 388. He is also up there for home runs at 12. He is up there in RBIs at 46. I like his odds of you know, winning that award just because he is on every leaderboard. I wouldn't be surprised with DJ Peterson, I will say that. And there are some other guys I wouldn't be surprised with just because of the sheer, you know, firepower they have. A guy like, say, maybe a a Courtney Hawkins could be kind of a a low-key threat for that. Maybe even a Jindal could be a low-key threat for that. But I'll go with Castro here uh, as of right now.
1: Right. There I have it.
0: Yeah, so that's uh, that's what we have for you this week. That's what we have for our previews. And hopefully you got a decent bit out of it. And hopefully you did enjoy uh, the preview this week. With that, we'll wrap it up here. We'll get our plugs out of the way. We'll get anything left to add. And then we will get out of here until next week when we will bring you the full Frontier League preview. I do want to say two things here before we do those plugs. Congrats to Quebec for finally hosting a baseball game. They have done that tonight. Baseball is back in Canada, especially on the independent league level. Winnipeg will be back next week when they return home, and that's something that I think we were both skeptical would happen this year. But it it's happened. There's fans in the stands, and it's a wonderful thing to see baseball back in Canada.
1: Wonderful, wonderful thing. So, So so happy. Uh, for 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 the people in Canada who's, who are able to go enjoy a baseball game, and even even at the MLB level, with the Toronto Blue Jays hosting their first uh, their first home game back at the Rogers Center tonight, so re- really cool and really happy for the people out in Canada.
0: Yep, absolutely, and so with that, we'll go to the plugs. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Twitter at Indie Pod. You can do so on Instagram at Indie Ball report. You can do so also on Instagram at alpv underscore news for all your Atlantic League uh, needs. So you be sure to do that on the social media front. If you want to find the show notes, any episode to the show or the articles that we've been writing, they start on the Instagram page, but then they do get transferred over onto the website, you can do so on the website of IndieBallReport.com. Be sure to check out all that we have over there and be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to the show, which could be TuneIn, it could be Stitcher, it could be Podomatic, it could be iTunes, it could be Spotify, it could be Google Play, it could be Amazon Music, or it could be just about any major podcatcher that you find podcasts on, so be sure to help us out with a review and a rate and a subscription as well. With that said, do we have anything else left to add this week?
1: Uh, just two quick things for the uh, Jersey Devils. i uh, Peggy Hamilton. May you ever uh, haunt the, uh, the hockey-viewing experiences of Nick Firestone uh, forever, and may the Devils dominate the rivalry with him running the show. Uh, and one thing, thing, uh, welcome to Boston, Kyle Schwarber. Hopefully he hits lots of bombs once he gets off the IL in a couple of weeks.
0: You know, I could go off on a rant here about how free agency worked out in this whole like kind of draft period, starting really the day of the draft with the Rangers trading Bucinevich for probably the crappiest return I've ever seen, and just really go off on it, but I feel like that's gonna wind up coming up at some other point and being its own, like, outtake that gets added to the end of one of these episodes because, realistically... So far, the Ranger offseason has found new ways to piss me off at every turn, and I am really lowering my expectations, especially after giving up a goddamn third-round draft pick for Ryan Reeves. It's a replacement-level player, and it's 34, and for whatever goddamn reason, we decide to give him essentially a $2 million extension, although we're tight against the cap. Well... I'm going to try not to go off on that right now because... It, I it, mean, Ryan Reeves
1: fights a lot at least. Oh, I thank mean,
0: God. We, yeah. we we traded a third rounder for that and we let Brandon Smith go who actually wants to be a ranger so that way we could sign Jared Tenorti because one time he kicked Tom Wilson's ass because Christ knows we need more grit. Christ knows we need to trade a 70.2 way forward for Sammy Blay and a second round pick. I almost cursed right there too because I'm getting really pissed off the more I think about this offseason. But I'm going to navigate softly away from that and say uh the band bleachers put out a new album uh i've listened to it pretty good album like most of the songs on there it has bruce springsteen on it it has lana del rey on it it's kind of like springsteen if he did pop if that makes sense pretty good like it a lot plan to get the cd in the upcoming days so Uh, If you're a fan of music like that, be sure to check it out. Uh, That's about all I have before I want to go off more on how much I'm hating the Rangers offseason, how much I truly believe Chris Drury is either not a good GM or just simply a a Glenn Sather, Jim Dolan puppet, which really would make me probably equally as upset as him being a crappy GM. So, yeah. Yeah, certainly not the first
1: Rangers. Uh, go on a power really about their
0: all season so far—that's for sure. I still want to know who the hell Dryden Hunt is. And on that note, until next week, don't forget to play ball.